sometimes you go, um, your doctor says it's time for you just to get a, a thorough physical examination. In other words, just, just an, where they just try to check every part of your body and, and just see how your health is. You, you know, and it's not bad. Um, a lot of times when you go into a new job, you have to get a physical exam. And, and um, we don't look forward to them a lot of times, but they're, they're necessary. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you had a real thorough spiritual examination? I mean, where you said, now, Lord, I, as far as I know, my heart's working and uh, my color's good and uh, I'm, stomach's not hurting, so evidently I'm in good health. But let me ask you a question. Uh, what about your spiritual life? C- can you really have a spiritual examination? Can you really do that? Can you really find out from the Word of God where you are spiritually? Can you find that out? Oh, yeah, you can. But you know, it's hard to know the truth about yourself. Oh, you can figure out the truth about others, but no, it's kind of hard to know the truth about yourself. It's difficult to be objective in evaluating your own life as to who you are spiritually. Well, you know, you know why it's so hard to evaluate yourself? Because people will tell us what we are. They'll evaluate. Well, people will tell us who we are. Some people will, are given to flattery, and they'll tell us how wonderful we are and how good we are. Now, we all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. But flattery is not good. So, so some people will tell us, well, you, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, you're just wonderful. Well, but then some people not only build us up. I'm not talking about encouragement, but then some people will tear us down. So they'll tell us who we are. They'll either build us up or they'll tear us down. They'll criticize us, find fault in us. So it's really hard to know, to examine and to evaluate yourself. But then, too, Satan will lie to you about yourself. That's one of the reasons it's so hard to really know, well, who am I? Who am I? I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to have believe a lie about who I really am. And so not only will people tell us who we are, but the Satan will try, will lie to us about who we are. He said, well, you're a mistake. You have no meaning. You have no purpose. You're just existing. You'll never rise any higher than you are. You'll only go deeper than you've been. And see, it's hard to evaluate yourself because the devil just lied to you. He'll just lie to you about who you are, and uh, tell you, well, you'll never amount to anything. But let me tell you something else. Sometimes, not only people make it difficult for us to understand who we are, not only the Satan lies to us and make us difficult to understand who we are, but sometimes our circumstances make it hard to know who we are. You know, we all uh, have different circumstances. Some people are born into... Uh, rich families. Some people are born into middle-class families. Some people are born into poor families. Some people are born into families that have no knowledge of God. Others are born into families where there's a strong Christian faith. And so the home you grow up in, the circumstances you grow up in, sometimes they try to tell you who you are. Sometimes it'll give a rich person an exalted opinion of themselves and think that they can buy their way through anything. Sometimes it'll say to a, a person who's raised in, in somewhat poverty, they'll say, well, you're never going to get beyond this. It's just the way your family is, and it's the way they'll always be. So it's, always, it's so hard to really know, well, who am I? Well, I tell you the way to find out is just to go to the Word of God and examine yourself in the light of God's Word where you are now. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you seven questions this morning. Now, uh, and they'll be on the board. Uh, we're going to put each one of the seven questions up, and then we're going to give you scriptures. So 
you're going to have to think this morning. You just can't sit there and say, wonder what time he'll be through. No, no. You got to use your mind, okay? You got to use your brain. And you're going to have to be honest. See, can you be honest about yourself? Now, and these are the type of questions that you have to keep examining and go back and say, well, is that really true about me? Is that really right about me? So you'll have to go back and visit them again. Now, I guess it's called this. We'll examine ourselves. Or let me put it this way. We'll judge ourselves. Now, the Bible tells us not to judge other people. Now, we're easy. We love to, no, we don't love to do it, but it's easy to judge others. It'd be easy for me to observe you and judge you, but hard for me to look in the mirror and judge myself. So first scripture I want you to notice is God, the Bible tells us not to judge others. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck out of your eye and you look and there's a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank in your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. So God's the judge and he tells us not to judge others. But at the same time, the Word of God tells us, now stay with me, to carefully judge ourselves. And he says carefully. And I want to give you some scriptures that show that it's proper for us to have a spiritual examination this morning. All right, in, second, in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5. Now, I want you to look carefully what Paul said. He said, it is, but with me, it is, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Paul, Paul knew that the Pharisees, whom he had been one, who had left them and now was a follower of Jesus, he knew the religious leaders of his day, they were all judging him. They were all judging him. He said, it doesn't, it's not a big deal with me that you're judging me or that I should be judged by a human court. And listen to what he says. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And then he tells you why. He says, right now, I don't know anything against myself. Paul says, I, I don't really feel capable of judging myself. Because right now, I really don't know anything against me. I, I don't really know anything that doesn't please God. He says, yet, I'm not justified th by this. He said, even though I don't feel good about, uh, you know, uh, even though I know nothing about myself, I don't feel good about judging myself. Because I, 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 sometimes I can't see clearly, but he who, and, and I'm not justified because I don't know anything about myself, but he who judges me is the Lord. So I said we have to be careful when we judge ourselves. But the Bible does tell us to do that. All right, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 31 and 32, it tells us to judge ourselves. Now look at this verse. <laughs> if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged. He said, now, if you'll judge yourself, it's going to help you. And you'll not end up being judged by God in that area if you'll deal with it. But when we are judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So I think it's scriptural for you and I this morning to say, okay, I, I want to take a spiritual examination. Now, now let, let me say this. Th this basically is sp speak, sp being spoken to people who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this will not have meaning to you if you're lost because it really won't matter. And so before I even get into these seven questions, these questions won't matter to you until you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ 
You've repented of your sins. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And with a broken and contrite heart, realizing that you deserve to be judged, you deserve hell, you deserve to be separated from God, but God loved you so much that Jesus came and died in your place, and God raised him from the dead, and God says, even though you're a sinner, I love you. Even though you have no strength to change yourself, I love you. And you repent of your sins, which means you not only confess them, but you turn away from them, and you give your life. You surrender your life. You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you're saved this morning, this certainly does apply to you. And while it may be disturbing and you may struggle with the answers, let's be honest. That's all I'm asking us to do. Let's be honest. I'm strugg- I've struggled with them and still am. So here, here are the seven questions. And they're going to be on the screen, so if you want to write them down, you can. And, um, but let me say this before I give you the seven questions. Uh, the seven guidelines. Uh, by the way, there's another scripture I needed to give you about judging ourselves. In Galatians 6, 3, and 3 through 5, I want you to look at this now on the screen. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, let's stop right there. You can deceive yourself. You say, man, I'm really right with God. I'm really walking with God. I'm really pleasing God. My, my, my life matches up with the word of God. But it's really not true. You're thinking yourself to be something when you're nothing. And what you're doing is you're deceiving yourself. And then you look at the next verse. It goes on and says, all right, now here it is. Let each one examine his own work. You know what he said? Examine your life. See, our life is called the work. In, in the judgment seat of Christ, it says each man's work will be made manifest. So he's saying, okay, now. You don't think more highly of yourself than you should. You deceive yourself. But examine your own work. Have rejoicing in yourself alone and not in another. Be able to examine yourself and be happy or rejoicing in what you are, for each one is responsible for his own life. Okay, so it tells us uh, to go ahead and judge ourselves. Now, listen to me, believer. You could take this wrong and think, well, you know, this is, uh, this is living under the law. It's not. It has nothing to do with the law. We're saved by grace, and we've been called to freedom in Jesus Christ, and we are free in him. And if you're born again and saved, you, you, you have the freedom to follow the Holy Spirit. We don't live under the law. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. We live under, the, under grace. It says Jesus has. So please understand this. As I talk about these things, I want you to realize that God is not a cosmic killjoy. See, there's some people that say, well, boy, you become a Christian, and man, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. Christians, you know, they just can't have any fun. They can't have any pleasure. They can't have any enjoyment. You know, it's a lie of the devil that... uh, that God is not a cosmic killjoy. He did not come to take the joy and the pleasure and the enjoyment out of life. Let me give you a verse. It'll encourage you. Look at 1 Timothy six seventeen, and it'll be on the screen. It says, command those that are rich in this present world not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God. Now look at these last verses. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Oh, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. There's so many things in this wonderful created world, so many things that God says, just enjoy. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. God's not in heaven saying, well, I don't want you to have any fun. I don't want you to enjoy life. I don't want you to have any pleasure. He's not doing that. But he defines what the good things he's given us to enjoy are. So don't believe the lie to become a Christian means you go around looking like you've been baptized in pickle juice the rest of your life. That is not what it means. That's not it. I've never had more fun in my life. I can do anything I want to do, but there's some things I don't want to do because Jesus changed my want to. A Christian can say, I can do anything I want to. You can, yeah. Yeah. But you see, Jesus took away some of the want-tos 
I used to have. And I'm a new creation. And the things I used to love, I don't love anymore. And the things I didn't love, I love now. And so we got to understand, let me just give you another verse. I'm trying to let you know that Jesus is all about life. He's all about life. He's all about living a full life. He's all about living a meaningful life. He's all about living a blessed life. He's all, 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 all about living a life that you can look back on it and say, Praise God. John 10, 10, what did Jesus say? I have come that you might, uh, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might be miserable and have it more abundantly. (laughs) That is not what Jesus said. Would you please listen to that? The devil steals. The devil kills. The devil destroys. But Jesus came that you might have an abundant life. Hallelujah. Since I was 20, I've been seriously following Jesus. I have messed up many times, and I thank God for his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. But I'll tell you right now, I, have, I wouldn't trade the life I've lived with all of its trials, heartaches, and even its failures. I wouldn't trade it for anything in this world because Jesus is where you find abundant life. Life without guilt, life without shame, life not without living under condemnation, but a life that enjoys the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. Don't you ever tell me it's it's, it's, it's not a good life to be a Christian. It's the greatest life in the world to be a follower of the Son of God. There's life in Jesus. And so when you examine yourself, you understand that the whole purpose of Jesus coming to live in you is for you to live the life that God wants you to live. All right. By the way, in Psalm 1611, it says, look at this. Now, this is what it says. You will show me the path of life in your presence, God's presence. Listen now. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Wow. That's our Savior. That's our God. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me ask you this. Does this sound like a meaningful life? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, goodness, kindness, faith. Man, that sounds real good to me. (laughs) That sounds like a wonderful life. A life that you're not living in guilt and shame and condemnation, bitter and angry and hurt and lashing out and lying. Come on. Man, what a wonderful life. Well, with all that said, here's the first question. I want you to examine your heart by What is the desire of your heart? What do you want most in your life? Now, that's a pretty tough question. Fred, what is the desire of your heart? What do you want most in your life? Okay, I'm asking you that. What is the desire of your heart? What do you want the most in your life? Well, let's see what the Bible says. In in Matthew 6, 21, the Bible will tell you that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What you want most, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever your treasure is, whatever you want the most in life, That's where your heart is. And that reveals to you where your heart is. Well, the Bible does tell us and give us some direction about what we should desire the most. And it's not very hard. Look at Matthew 6, 33. You know what it says? Now look at this. Could this be what we desire most? Could this be the thing we want the most in our life? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And get this, all these other things, 
that you're so concerned about. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to leave? He says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You look at that chapter. He said, but let me tell you what you do. Don't worry about all those things. Seek first the rule of God, the rule of God, a relationship with God, to be one with God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of everything else. Oh, no, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to take care of everything else. When God wants you to seek him first and let him take care of everything else. It's about time you stop trying to orchestrate your life and let God orchestrate it. Because he's just telling you, what is, what, what is the desire of your heart? What is it you want most in your life? You could ask this question on the streets. I wonder what kind of answer we get. Well, I, I really wonder whether you just said, well, what do I desire the most? And where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? You know, I, I would desire this. I don't know that I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I'm there. I mean, I don't know. But I know one thing, this would be a great desire. You know what the, um, John 15, 9 says? I, I would like to love Jesus the way the Father loved him. Look at what he said. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we loved Jesus like his heavenly Father loved him? As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Boy, you couldn't go wrong saying, Lord, I I know I have so many needs, but Lord, the desire of my heart is to love, Jesus, love you, Jesus, like your, your, the Father loved you. So the first question you've got to answer today, what do you desire most? What is the passion, the greatest passion of your life? Let me warn you of a danger, okay? Especially in, this is not so much a problem in the, the poor third world countries of the world where all they're trying to do is get enough food to live another day. Three-fourths of the people in the world will go to bed hungry tonight. Oh, yeah. And they spend their entire day just trying to get enough food to get, let them live another day. Now, I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about in the American culture. Let me, let me tell you one of the dangers. You better you have to watch it about the desire of your heart. Because in 2 Timothy 3, 4, I want you to listen to what it says. Traitors, heady, haughty, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I, th- I think if you went to the Hangout Festival over at Orange Beach with all the rock bands and 30,000 people half naked, just most of them half drunk, what do you desire most? Man, I love pleasure. In fact, I love pleasure more than I love God. I'm chasing pleasure. You know, you have, you have to be careful. Not in a country where you're just trying to get enough to eat, but in America where there's a thousand kinds of good pleasures in Christ, but wicked pleasures in the world. It's a danger that you'd love pleasure more than you love God. And that would be the desire of your heart. Here's the second question. The first one was, what is the desire of your heart? Number two, now this is a good question. What do you think about the most? You say, well, what I think about the most? I'm just thinking about the necessities of life. I've got a family, or you don't have one. I've got a family. I've got a job. I've got bills to pay. I've I've got all kind of things. Listen, what do I think about? If I, 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 I'm always thinking about the things that are pressing in on me and the necessities of life and the pr- pr- pressures of life. Man, what do I think about? Well, let me ask you this. When you're not under the pressures of life and the thoughts of just your daily needs are not cramming or uh, caving you in, when your mind is free to go anywhere it wants to go, where does it go? 
When you're just free to think about anything you want to think about. Well, what do you think about? Well, I'll tell you what the Bible says. See, you, you try to answer these questions in light of, well, what does God say? All right, I want you to think about Proverbs 23, 7. Look at the first part of this verse. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You become what you think. Oh, yeah. Choices need to acts. Action needs to habits. Thoughts, choices, acts, habits, strongholds. You see, for as you think in your heart, that's who you are. You become what you think. And so what we think about the most is very, very significant. You say, all right, Brother Fred, I know God, we can think about creation. We can think about fishing. We can think about sports. That's good. Hey, man, that's some of the things God's given us richly to enjoy. If you don't get upset, you could even enjoy golf. I mean, it's a lot of things you could enjoy. Some of you enjoy working in the yard. You have my prayers. I'm, I'm telling you. There's a lot of things you can think about. And when you think about, they give you pleasure. And they're good things. But that's not the most important thing. The Bible makes it clear. In Colossians 3, chapter 1, chapter 3, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Now listen to this. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he says it. Set your mind on things above and not on things below. You know what he's saying? You, above everything, and so, said for your life, you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You need to be spiritually minded. Oh, yeah. To be fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me ask you a question. Do you set your mind on things above? Or are you just always thinking about things below? Are you worldly minded? Are you spiritually minded? There, there, there are things in this world to think about, which are fine. But I tell you, above all, if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you've got to be heavenly minded. You've you got to be spiritually minded. You've got to set your mind on things above. Yes, God's love for you and God's forgiveness and the presence of Christ in your life, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and God answers prayer, and how God's in control, and how God will protect us, all of that. But then you also got to think, well, you know, God has a purpose for my life. I'm not a mistake. I'm not just here. I'm not just somebody breathing air and drinking water. When God created me, he wanted me to be an extension of his life, an expression of his character, an exhibit of his power. You've got to understand you, that, that God has a purpose for you. He just didn't want you to come here and live and die, and that's it. He wants you to lay up treasure in heaven. He wants you to live for eternity. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about the most? What is your affection set on? What is your mind set on? You say, Brother Fred, it is so hard. Everything's coming at me. I, I'm, I'm, thoughts are coming. Pressures are coming. I know that. But somehow you've got to look beyond that and you've got to say, God, let me see everything in light of your word and in light of your plan. Let me be spiritually minded and let the Holy Spirit lead me. I'm telling you, what you desire the most and what you think about the most tells you a lot about you. Here's number three. What do you do with your money? <laughs> you know, you say, uh, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> What do you do when you have extra money? You say, I don't ever have any. <laughs> have you ever noticed that you live to the level of your income? You say, boy, if I ever make $30,000 a year, man, I'll save 10000 No, you live like you have 35000 You're 5000 in the hole. I mean, you know, you always live up to, you, to the level. You're awful quiet about that. But let me ask you this. After you've taken care of the necessities of life, food, lodging, clothing, and you've got a little extra money, 
What do you do with it? How do you handle it? Well, let me give you a warning. In 1 Timothy 6.10, you know this, but I want to listen to you. I heard Dr. Gray Allison say this. It's nothing wrong with having money as long as money doesn't have you. And boy, that's the truth. If money ever gets you, you are a miserable human being. You'll be trying to protect it, think people are going to take it. I, I, I mean, good gracious. It says here, the love of money, there it is on the screen, is the root of all evil. It does not say money is evil. It isn't. You can bless a lot of people and do a lot of good things with money. But the love of money, the love of it, is the root of all kinds of evil. Why do people steal? They love money. Why do people prostitute themselves? They love money. Why do people sell drugs? They love money. You know, why, why haven't we outlawed uh, the, the worst drug of all is alcohol. Why haven't we made that against the law? Because it's all controlled by money. Why haven't we banned cigarettes? Because all they do is give you strokes and heart attack. Oh, I'm going to tell you why. It's all about money. It's all about money, y'all. It's what it's all about. I mean, the greed that's in our government. When, when the market fell and and Fannie Mae and Eddie Mack, or whatever his name was, the housing thing came down. And listen, I'm telling you, it was all about money. And the reason sometimes our Congress is not effective is somebody's already bought them and paid for. God have mercy on us. Let me ask you this. How do you handle your money? What do you do with it? Good question. I'll give you a good verse that will help you. And uh, you just need to pray about it because everything you got came from God. No, I didn't. I worked for it. Who gave you the power to work? <laughs> but let me give you a verse that will help you. It says over in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. I love this. This will keep you from greed. I hate greed. Greedy people do awful things. They lie, they steal, cheat, they steal. We, we, I'm going to do it under the table. And, and then you go to go to work for somebody, and, and they say, well, now we, 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 we not, we, we're going to do it this way. You say, but that's against the law. You can't do that. But no, that's just the way we're going to do it. Well, why? Because we're greedy. It says here in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. All right, look, look at this. So let each one, as he purposes in his heart, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, well, I'm going to give it, but I don't want to. That's what he said, well, don't give it then. Don't give it if you can't give it. It says, and I'm just talking about to anything that where God's telling you, I want you to do this, and it's a good thing. It says, for, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. I've got to. I've got to. I've got to. For God loves a cheerful what? You know why? Because it breaks greed. Nothing breaks greed. And selfishness like giving. Nothing. You may just be giving of your time. You're giving of your time. That'll break selfishness. You, you, you may be giving. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. But it's not all about, I've got this little world I live in. And I've got to be secure in everything I've got. It's mine and it's always going to be mine. And nobody else ever going to get it. I want to just ask you a question. What do you do with your money? Tells you a lot about your heart. Here's number four. And uh, this, I like this one. What do you do with your leisure time? Uh, let me call it spare time. Now, um, a lot of us don't have any spare time. 
they're getting people now to do twice as much. If you've got a job in the corporate world or working for a company or something, what they've done in order to cut corners because they're greedy and they want to have a greater profit is they, they get you due to work of three people. I do. I'm, I'm telling you, they just load it down on you, load it down on you. And, and you just, hey, you, you work, and then when you th- th- get through work, you got to work overtime. You, uh, you, and says, uh, yeah, Brother Fred, I, I don't have hardly any spare time. I get up, go to work, come back, take a bath, go to bed. But let me ask you this. When you have spare time, when you have extra time, when you have time that you can do anything within the Word of God that you want to do, what do you do with your time? How do you handle it? You know, I, I, you say, well, Brother Fred, you know, that, that's, that's my choice. Yeah, it is. But let, let me say this, that the Bible says that we're to redeem the time, that we're to make the most of the time. I have found out this. <laughs> And I'm confessing my sins. I always have enough money to do what I want to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. My wife says, we can't afford that. I said, oh, yes, we can. I figured out a way. That ain't right. That's not right. That's just selfishness on my part. Sometimes I bought something and didn't even tell her I bought it. That was bad, wasn't it? Have you ever bought anything and didn't tell your wife you bought it? Well, don't lie. I mean, go ahead and just keep you. Don't, don't say anything. But... But the, but the point I'm making is this, is that we've got to be honest and transparent about things. And what we do with our leisure time, we've got to redeem the time. In Ephesians 5, 16, 15 and 16, look at what it says. See then that you walk carefully. It couldn't be any plainer. See that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, doing what? Redeeming the time. Making the most of your time. There's one thing for sure. The most precious thing you have is time. Because without time, you aren't here. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Because the night is coming when I won't have any more time. Redeem the time. Make the most of your time. And I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your time. But I'll tell you one thing, you've got to realize how important it is, how significant it is, and you redeem the time, you make the most of it, and how does it fit in with the desire of your heart as far as pleasing God is concerned? What do you do with your time? I love this. George Truitt was one great man of God. He went to see Maxie Jarman, who owned a Jarman shoe company. They don't, they don't have Jarman shoes anywhere I see now. I mean, I, they got all kind. Of, I think they all come overseas. But anyway, Maxie Jarman had a great American shoe company that he built shoes, and everybody wore Jarman shoes. And George Truett, well, he was a wonderful Christian. Maxie Jarman was a great Christian. George Truett, the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, went to see him, and he said, Maxie, let me ask you a question. What's the secret of your success? He said, what do you see on the wall over there? It was a piece of cardboard. And on the cardboard was three things. God first, family second, shoes third. He had it right. Have you got your priorities right with your time? Have you, have you got your priorities right? Are you making the most of your time? I'm telling you, what do you desire most in life? What do you think about when you're free to think about anything else? What are you doing with your money? What do you do with your spare time? Here's number five. I'm going to get through in plenty of time. I'm doing good. But this is a good question. What kind of people do you hang out with? Who who, who, who do you hang out with? What kind of people do you spend your time with? Well, well, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners. You hang out with the wrong crowd, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get messed up. Now, let me say this to you. In the eyes of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus hung out, hung out. 
I don't hang that. Whatever he did, Jesus spent time with the wrong crowd. See, he, first place he went was to the number one head of the mafia outside of Jericho. He went to Zacchaeus' house, who was the chief tax collector, which means he was the head number one stealer. And all the rest of the thieves were sitting around the table with him. But you know what Jesus went there for, don't you? He went there to tell them who he was and called him to repentance. And the, I think it was Zacchaeus said, today salvation, or maybe Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. And Zacchaeus said, I'm going to tell you one thing. I, I, I just, I've just met Jesus, and I've stole for people, and I'm going to give them four times back what I stole from them. I, I, it's good to hang out with sinners if you have the purpose of pointing them and telling them and loving them to Jesus. You've got to build relationships with people, y'all. We can't live in our holy huddles and let the world go to hell. No, we've got to reach out to people that don't act like we act and don't live like we live and, and, and don't think like we think. But we reach out for this reason. We reach out to let them know that we love them where they are, but our purpose in hanging out with them is to let them know that Jesus Christ loves them and let them see Jesus Christ in us with the passion and goal that they too will come to Jesus. No, we don't need to isolate ourselves from lost people. You don't put your light under a bushel. You put it on a lampstand so it can be seen. But having said that, we need to build a relationship with unsaved people. We need to love them where they are, and we need to tell them that God loves them and plead with their souls as we pray and as we have opportunity to come to Jesus. But let me tell you something. We don't hang out with sinners and go where they go just to be hanging out with them. Well, I think I'll go down to the Applebee's and sit at the bar and watch the ball game. No, I'm, you don't need to do that. I had this guy that got saved, and he said, I said, how are you doing? He said, fine. I said, now, you, you walk in the right way. You keep in the right company. He said, well, yeah. He still, I, I still love to go over to, he named the restaurant and sit there at the bar. I, I said, you ain't, I'm drinking Coke. Well, I don't know about that, but he said, I'm drinking Coke. I said, I'm just enjoying the fellowship. Give me a break. He's in trouble. He might not know it, but he's in big trouble because he's surrounded by sinners, and they're not there because they want to hear about Jesus. They're there to keep drinking one beer after another. So let me ask you, who do you hang out with? The worst thing you can do if you get saved is to go back to your old friends and live like they live. You better not do it. You better not. That's the tragedy of, of, of places like the Mission of Hope and, and other places. A lot of times they don't have places to go to. So the only place they go to, most of them can't get a job. They go back to the people they used to hang out with who are doing the same thing. And it's not long till they're doing it again themselves. You've got to separate yourself from evil companions. Well, I need new companions. I know where you can find some wonderful people. What about the church? What about finding a, a Bible study class and getting in there with some ladies and let those ladies love you and getting in a class with some men and let those men love you or getting in a class with some couples and letting them love you? You can find some wonderful fellowship and some wonderful companions and some wonderful encouragement and people who think the way God wants you to think and do. Hey, listen. That's what the church is all about. It is a safe place for you to come and to get hooked up with the right people and then go out in the world and tell people about the Son of God. All right, here's the next one. How many is that, five? All right, number six. All right, number six. Now, this is a good one. Well, who are your heroes? You know, the world has heroes. Well, who are your heroes? You know, <laughs> you, you can tell a lot about where a person is, especially a young person, if you go up to their room and see the pictures on their wall, you can tell who their heroes are. If it's some rock band that looks like the devil, they got the wrong heroes. Some of those people paint their, you know, there's an image you've got to look like to be in a rock band. And the thing that bothers me, some churches have got people that look like they're rock band. God have mercy on us. I said, at least you can comb your hair. My God. 
mean, you don't have to have holes in your britches. I mean, come on. We'll get you a pair with no holes in it. What are you trying to say? I'm looking like the world. I don't want to look like the world. I want people to know at least that I'm not just letting the world tell me how to dress and how, what color to color my hair from anywhere from red to green. You can say it any time you want to. I got this lady who works Chick-fil-A, and, and she's a sweet girl, and one day she had red, red hair. I said, boy, that's pretty. The next time she had purple hair, that's, I said, that's pretty. And this time she had her hair. I said, man, that is your hair. She said, it sure is. Now, I'm not cutting people down, but let me just say one thing. I do not want the world to tell me how to live and what to do, and I'm telling you, I don't want that to happen, and I want my heroes to be people who are men and women of God who live holy and righteous and godly lives and who hold a standard up that will help people get out of the pit and the miry clay and set their feet on a rock. I want to, I want to have heroes who are men of God and women of God who are going to bring people to a relationship with God and going to have a godly influence. I want them to be light and salt. I don't want my hero to be any pagan. You say, well, you say... Now, let me say this. It's all right to admire people who, are, who achieve. You know, you, you know, I mean, I'm glad when people achieve accomplishments. I, I'm glad for that. But I'm, that, that's not my heroes. I say, well, boy, he sure is a good football player, or she, he, she, uh, she sure is a good whatever, basketball player, or he's a good golfer, or he's a good... I, mean, I, I, I admire people who have athletic skills. There's nothing wrong with that, but they're not my heroes. Now, if they love Jesus, I say, man, they're not only a good football player, but they love Jesus. But I tell you what, I want my heroes to be people who are laying down their life for the faith, who've counted the cost, and who love God more than they love this world, and who set a standard of living that this world cannot measure up to. Let me just tell you who your heroes need to be. If you just look up... um, by the way, in Proverbs 23, 17, and 18, I've got to show you this. It says, don't envy sinners. <laughs> not, do not let your heart envy sinners. Well, I sure wish I could play the guitar like him. No, you don't. Be, be, do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. He said, don't envy sinners. You can envy them right straight into hell. You want to follow them there? But I tell you who ought to be our hero, our heroes. Hebrews 12, 2. Look at this. (laughs) Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Man, that's my hero. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. i tell you who my hero was. Stephen Olford, who, warned, who taught me about the lordship of Christ. i tell you who my hero is, was. Manly Beasley. He taught me how to walk by faith. i tell you who one of my heroes is. Ron Dunn, who taught me how that you can fight through depression and live a godly life. And get a word from God. I tell you who one of my heroes is. is Bertha Smith. Who poured her life out till she was 99 years of age. Preaching on the holiness of God. And bringing people to Jesus. And see. The right kind of heroes. Are people that influence your life. In the right kind of way. And they rise you. To another level. That's who a hero is. They take you to another level spiritually. And they don't drag you down to the depths of where they are. Who are your heroes? Here's the last thing. (laughs) What do you laugh at? Well, that's that's one I had to learn hard the hard way. I love to laugh. I just love to laugh. And I love funny stories. Okay? Well, let let me give you um, a couple of things about laughter. In Proverbs 15, 13, look at what it says. Well, what do you laugh at? A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. If you're laughing, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by the sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. And then in, in Proverbs 17, 22, 
A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Okay, but then there's a verse. And, 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 and you've got to be careful because if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, get, you'll fall into this trap. Proverbs 14, 9. Fools laugh at sin. Fools laugh at sin. Among the upright, there's favor. Okay. There was a time that I would tell story and, and tell stories that, quote, were funny, and it'd be about a drunk. God said, don't you do that anymore. Don't you do that. Don't you laugh at a drunk. Drunkenness is a sin against a holy God. And then people will make jokes about somebody that had an affair about with, with, with somebody. They wouldn't say it, but, you know, he, he looked at this woman and all that kind of stuff. And Let me tell you something. You don't ever laugh at sin. It says a fool laughs at sin. God help me by his grace, I'll never do it again. I can't believe I was so insensitive. If you ever hear me make fun of anybody who sinned, you correct me. Would you do that? That's not right. Uh-uh. Sin sends people to hell, and it is not a laughing matter. What do you laugh at? Somebody calls you and wants to tell you a dirty joke on the phone. You say, I'd rather not. They try to tell you when it works. I'm not interested in that. Then they'd get offended because you won't laugh. Well, that's their problem. That's not your problem. You'd rather offend God. You'd rather offend them than offend God, right? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I took this. I, I asked these seven questions, and um, they, a, lot, a lot of them made me uncomfortable. I'm dealing with them. But, I mean, I ain't batting a 1,000, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm struggling with some of them. What's the desire of your heart? What do you think about the most? What do you do with your money? What do you do with your leisure time? What kind of people do you hang out with? Who are your heroes? And what do you laugh at? That'll go a long way to tell you a lot about your spiritual temperature. Your spiritual temperature. Now you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest and let God search you. And where you're not right, repent and say, God, change me. But God, 